0: And welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. Looking forward to continuing today um, the series that we have uh, started on on money and finances and and giving with the church and, and giving to the kingdom of God and um, from a from a spirit filled church perspective. Um, Talks about giving and, and money and, and sermons about it sometimes can can feel uh, a little bit kind of dry if i'm honest from this point and uh, from this standpoint and uh, you know as a Pentecostal kind of preacher speaker, it kind of makes me nervous sometimes so can anybody just help me out and just shout out a random amen at some time during the sermon is that can i there there we go, just like that all right that's that's exactly how we're going to do this but um uh, I, I am looking forward to this. I think, again, these things are so important. I, I think as you'll see this morning, Jesus thought that this was so important. And I think, since he, I think that since he is the smartest guy in the room, we should probably listen to him. Look at that. Random amens. I love it. it and so, um, so yeah. And, and in a little bit, I'm actually going to challenge you to maybe just turn your whole budget completely upside down. So any of y'all that, that make budgets, do budgets, live by a budget, I'm just going to challenge you to perhaps, maybe not for everybody, but I'm going to challenge you to perhaps turn your whole budget upside down. I'm not asking you for money today. We will not be taking offerings today. Um, some of us have heard the things I'm going to talk about um, today before. We've heard these things before. We've done them. Um, some of us have heard these things before, and we're thinking, not again. Um, some of us have never heard these things before, and maybe when I talk about it today, you're not sure if you can, um, but the thing is, you're smart. Uh, there we go, some random amens. Weren't too convinced. You're the smart, smartest audience in the nation. I know it this morning. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and uh, I, I know. Well, at least I kind of believe. Maybe I hope I'm not really sure. You can figure this thing out uh, by the time that I'm done today. But I think you just have to decide if it's worth um, figuring it out or not. And and uh, you know, also you might know, you might have guessed from the way that I preach and teach up here as pastor. Uh, I don't consider myself the boss of you. All right, I have been asked to kind of give this season of my life to leading you, but leading is certainly different. Than driving. And when you look at the the pictures and the word pictures that are used, um, you know, in the Bible and the scripture to kind of describe me and my role, I'm supposed to be a shepherd and not a cowboy. And uh, shepherds kind of lead from the front. And so I'm not here to drive you into anything, to guilt you into anything. I just want to present the words of Jesus and let your faith and your belief in him kind of direct you you know, on your own. And, and my goal this morning is really to kind of influence you to do something that maybe you never have. Because I think, I think that all of this talk about money and giving within the kingdom and within the, context of, within the context of church and the Jesus movement, I don't even think it's really about money. It's not. It's not about money. And I think you're going to see that today. This is a faith thing. Now, yeah, it has a financial application, especially since we're talking about giving and offerings and those kinds of things, but this is a faith thing. Anybody ever notice that on all of our paper money, it says, in God we trust, but then as Christians, it seems like the one place where we don't really trust God very much is with our money. There there we go, random amen. That's what I was waiting on right there. So, Again, like this may be something that you've already heard and done. This might be brand new, but this is a principle that's been proven by by so many Christians, by most of the longtime Christians here. Um, If you will try this, if you will do this, make this a practice. I promise you, I, I promise you, I really can make that promise today. You will not only not regret it, you will end up later on in your life saying, I am so glad that I did. And I just want to say this as well. Last week, I kind of made the comment that, you know, my dad had raised, uh, my mom and my dad had raised my brother and myself to to kind of give early on and that kind of thing, and I just want to tag on to that and make sure that I come across right in the way that I said that. I am so glad they did. I am so glad that they instilled these principles into us, and, and, and you know, about trusting God with our finances. I, I wouldn't trade this for anything, and, and so lean in today if you have not significantly involved God in your finances, and I, I really believe that you're going to be very glad that you did. So if money could talk, that's what we're kind of basing this whole series on. And if money could talk, none of us would really be surprised at the advice it might give us. But what we might be surprised at is what money would say, if it could say, just parallel so neatly and so perfectly with what Jesus did say when he did talk about money. He talked about money more than he talked about heaven. But the interesting thing is he never asked anybody for money, which is kind of surprising. If you're going to talk about money that much, how can you never ask for money? So what was he up to? What was he on about when he was asking or teaching uh, these, these series or these lessons and parables on money? It seems like that Jesus actually wanted something for us more than Jesus wanted something from us. And so some of his teachings about finances and giving are surprising, and they kind of turn our ideas about money and giving and generosity on their head. And, and one of the ideas about money that Jesus, I think, kind of turns on its head is this, this idea that if I had just a little more money, I'd be happier. Anybody ever thought that? Random amen time right there, right? And so we think, if I had just a little more money, I'd be happier, and so we take the promotion, you switch jobs, but suddenly you're commuting more, you're at home less, or there's higher stress, or maybe bigger demands. And I think most of us, maybe in this room, have actually lived this to some degree. And, and last week, we kind of, you know, landed around this idea, and if our money could actually talk, it might say... Something contrary to this idea that if we had a little more, we'd be happier. It might actually echo the thoughts and the teachings of Jesus, and money might tell us, I can add meaning to your life, but I am not the meaning of life. Having more money does not make life better necessarily. Money actually becomes more meaningful when we begin to see money as a tool that we can use to help our lives be useful within a cause or an end that is greater Than ourselves. We can't be the end goal. We can't be the end result of our life, but we find meaning when we use ourselves to give ourselves to something greater than ourselves. And so this is a big life principle. And I gave you the last week, the example last week of of my new iPhone and, and getting rid of my old iPhone. I love my old iPhone, but once it could no longer do the things that I was using my phone to do, it lost all of its meaning to me and now it's gone, and they took it away from me, and I didn't need a moment, you know, and I wasn't grieving over my old phone being gone. Now I like my new phone, and why do I like my new phone? Do I not, do I like it better, you know, a little bit maybe, not necessarily, but I like my new phone because it is meaningful to me, and so it is with us, that if we want life to be meaningful and fulfilling, that we have to surrender ourselves to the idea that we have giftings, We have functions that we were designed to perform, and we find meaning only as we give ourselves over to using those giftings or using those functions that design to accomplish something that is greater than ourselves. And so last week, we asked a question along this line, to what ends then do you want your life to be a means? And there could be more than one. It could be about your children. It could be about your career. It could be about your role within the church, all of these kinds of things. But do you want your life to be meaningful? And if your answer is yes, then you have to learn to give your life to serving a means, or an end rather, that is outside of yourself. You have to surrender yourself, your talents, your time, your treasure to being a means to a greater end than yourself. And so as we begin to answer this question... We find that our money kind of starts to follow our giving of self. Our money will start to follow us as we begin to give ourselves over to a cause or an end that is greater than ourselves. And that's when money becomes what Jesus told us it was, that money is actually a tool Money, just like ourselves, can be a means to a greater end. And so today we're going to land on a second thing that maybe our money would say to us if our money could talk, and that's this idea right here, that your self-control determines which one of us is in control. If your money could talk, your money would tell you that your self-control determines which one of you is in control in your life. Which means, this isn't necessarily obvious at the front end, but it means that it's not about how much money you have. It's about what you do with the money that you have. And your self-control is actually driving the car if, or rather, you determine which one of you, you or your money, is actually driving the car of your life, and it's all determined by your self-control. Now, we don't like that idea of self-control, do we? Can somebody groan one time really loud? Yeah, (laughs) don't growl, groan. We need a groan. But you know, you're thinking, well, it's bad enough that Jared was going to talk about money, but now I show up and Jared's talking about one of my other least favorite subjects, which is self-control. And self-control plays a huge part in our finances, especially as it relates to the kingdom of God. And it explains so much that the financial pressure that many of us feel, and not all, right? I I get it. And some of us, we, we don't feel financial pressure for all the same reasons. And probably I'm not talking to you this morning. I'm probably talking to the person two rows in front of you, right? But the financial pressure that many of us feel has less to do with how much we make, And it has more to do with what we do with the money that we do make. And we hinted at this at, at, you know, before we started our series, that if we sat down with over 5 billion people in the world today who are living just so much in poverty, and we shared with them how much we make per hour, if we shared with them the size of our paychecks, even though we think they're small, if we did this with over 5 billion uh, people, shared what pressures we feel based on how much money we make, they would think we are crazy. In their eyes, we are unimaginably wealthy. But because we don't live with margin in our budgets, because we live with all of our money fully extended all the way out to the end, and then with credit even beyond what we bring in, because we don't have margin, somebody say margin, we feel financial pressure that over 5 billion people in the world have never felt and would think we are crazy to feel think about that, right? And so we might think, if I only had a little more money, but our money would tell us if you only had a little more self-control. This is an appropriate time for another groan. Yeah. So it turns out that our money would also say to us, I am a much better servant than I am a master because I will always go where you send me. So this is kind of where faith and, and finances kind of start to intersect. This is where this kind of comes into play. And, and Paul, who was an incredible story, the Apostle Paul, who started so many churches in the first century, shows up on, the, on the, the, the pages of history as a Christian hater, and then after a miraculous conversion, he actually becomes a Christian, maybe the greatest Christian of his time, and, and he writes all these letters. As he starts all these churches, he writes letters back to them. So he'd start a church and then move on and then write letters back to these churches in the first century, and and in these letters, he's kind of echoing the ideas of Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me, he's kind of expounding um, on the teachings of Jesus, maybe fleshing out a little more detail. And and there's an idea here, and I'm kind of going to dive off the money thing just for a second and, and talk about something that Paul talked about because in his letter to a church in the city of Galatia, he actually starts talking about being under control. Of a different force altogether. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, he says, So I say to all the Christians who are reading his letters, walk by the Spirit. And if you were here for maybe our last series on the promise, maybe you kind of understand what I'm talking about. If you've been in church or following Jesus for any length of time, you know what I'm talking about. That Jesus had promised that to his church, to his followers, he would send the Holy Spirit, which would be God living in us, God speaking within us, God within us directing us and guiding us and us having this relationship where we have the privilege of constantly getting to check in with God. And Paul just kind of assumes this. He just kind of expects this from believers and followers of Jesus as normal. If you're a Jesus follower, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And since you have God in your bod, walk by Him. Walk with Him. Listen to him, lean on him, trust in what he has to say. And he says, but I say, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. And he's talking about those broken appetites on the inside of us, right? And, and since I'm talking about appetites, here's the food that Paul said the spirit would actually produce within us. Here's the fruit of the spirit. He said, but the fruit of the spirit. The things inside of you that if you will walk by the Spirit and lean on that Spirit, these are the things that it will actually produce inside of you. And here's the thing about this. We always want these things in other people, but we don't necessarily always want these things in ourselves. The fruit of the Spirit is something you wish your boss had more of, right? The fruit of the Spirit is something you wish your sister-in-law had more of, At times you wish your kids had more of it, or your spouse, or your girlfriend, or your boyfriend. Paul says your heavenly Father, living with you and living in you, he'd like you to have more of these qualities as well. So when you walk by the Spirit, it's going to produce the fruit of the Spirit inside of you. And the fruit of the Spirit is this, love, and joy, and peace, and forbearance, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and there's that word, self Control, self control. Self control is kind of like over all of these things. It's kind of like the overcoat over the rest of the ensemble there. It's it's holding everything together because all of the things that are on this list just naturally run against our natural appetites, right? And it shouldn't surprise us that God in us. It shouldn't surprise us that God, for us, who wants us to know him and love him as a heavenly father, it shouldn't surprise us that he wants to guide us to live under the control of ourselves. Why? Because he's trying to be a killjoy or ruin our fun? No, because he knows what we do, that life is miserable when you serve your appetites. This is so true in life, right? And we all kind of experience this to some degree You know, throughout the day, some of you are thinking about your appetite right now, right? You're kind of wondering when I'm going to be quiet so you can go home and eat lunch. But some of us have followed more harmful appetites. We've experienced this in our life, right? We fed an appetite and then it came back, didn't it? Sometimes it comes back even stronger. Sometimes it comes back even hungrier. And the next thing we know, we're doing everything we can to serve that appetite. And when you look back over time, And what the appetite has done, you realize that the appetite has been controlling you all along. The appetite actually had control of your self, but you did not have self-control. And so your heavenly Father is saying, by His Spirit, if you will lean on my Spirit inside of you, I will always lead you to live a life of self-control, not appetite control. And here's the thing about Christians, we're supposed to have already said, I have control of myself, and so I freely surrender the control of myself to God living inside of me. It is not something that God takes from me, it is something that God asks from me, and I willingly and freely give it to someone who loves me like nobody else can love me. And so this is the principle going on inside of us. In fact, at the end of the parable that we looked at last week, Jesus kind of makes this statement that we're going to see in a second, and it's familiar to most of us. And it's not just familiar, it's it's brilliant. And Jesus was so brilliant, and it's kind of confusing at first until you understand where Jesus was going with this and how it all kind of plays out in our day-to-day life. But Jesus was talking about money. We saw that last week in the parable we were looking at, but then... After his talk about money, Jesus actually starts talking about masters and slaves and servants. And in Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 13, he says, no one can serve two masters. Now, here's something really interesting for all those that are kind of church people and Jesus followers and Bible readers. That word masters there is the Greek word kurios. It's the same word that we see translated 647 or 667 other times in the New Testament as Lord. Jesus is saying, No one can serve two lords. And the, the definition of a Lord in this Greek sense, what they meant by it, was someone to whom you belong. They were talking about a slave situation. They were talking about a servant situation, just like Jesus is bringing up. No one can serve two lords or two masters, to which some of us would think, well, I don't have any masters. I'm free. I'm living my own life. And Jesus would say, well, we'll see. We'll see about that. And then later on in verse 13, he says this, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, isn't that interesting? See, like if we had just put a blank right there, right? You cannot serve both God and blank. How many of us naturally on our own would have put money in the blank? We wouldn't. We'd put like the devil, right? No one, you cannot serve both God and the devil, right? Can, no random amens on that one? No. You guys aren't sure? You should be sure. You cannot serve both God and the devil. This is... Okay, There we go. Thank you, Junior. Random, loud, amen. I got one in the whole church. Next week, we're starting a new series. It's just, we better correct this thing, right? None of us would have said money. We wouldn't have chosen it. But Jesus saw money as a chief competitor to our devotion to God. Money. Stuff. The pursuit of money. The pursuit of of stuff, the idea that if I only had a little bit more of that, I'd be happy. If I only had a little bit more of that, my life would be better. I'd be fuller, richer, satisfied, right? And so he might ask us a question along these lines Do you have money or does money have you? Which is a great question, but it's a question to which we might answer. I don't have enough money for it to have me. Yeah, I thought I'd get more random amens on that one, right? I wish I had a greedy, rich person problem. Can I hear an amen? I wish I was struggling with being too materialistic. Can I hear an amen? I can't even afford material. I can't be materialist. If wealth is a test, where do I sign up for the class? Right? Right? That's what we're all thinking, right? And so, you know, a lot of times we read stuff like this or what Jesus had to say, and we think, well, Jesus isn't talking to me because I don't have a lot of money. So Jesus must just be talking to rich people. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he's only talking to rich people. Don't worry about it. Surely he's not talking to people with an Amazon Prime addiction. Surely he's not talking to people who had to upgrade their Netflix account because you have more than one user on more than one screen in more than one room of your many-room house. Can I hear an amen? Not to mention the screens in our pockets. Surely he's not talking to people who go to the mall and you ask them, what are you looking for? And they say, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet right? And then you see it and you say, there it is. I didn't even know it existed. I didn't even know I needed it. But now that I see it, I know that I need it. I've got to have it, right? Surely, 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 he wasn't talking to us. But Jesus, Jesus is brilliant. And Jesus is talking to us. He's talking to us because everyone faces the danger of making money our first worry or our first priority or our first goal or the first thing we do when we need to have a little release. Anybody ever heard of retail therapy? Can I get an amen? (laughs) Those weren't random. Those are yes, from the heart, which makes it When you make money, your first worry, priority, goal, or release, it makes money your first. Your first thought. Your first reason for a new job. Your first reason for working overtime. Your first concern come payday. And Jesus said you can't serve money. You can't put money first and still have God as first in your life. If you put money first, you are making it your master. You are making it your Lord. And you can't put money first and serve the mission and the kingdom that your heavenly Father wants to bring into existence through you. Mm, It's hard. This is hard, isn't it? But man, we struggle. We struggle with opening up the hands when it comes to giving to the kingdom and giving to God. Think about this. Think of how easy it is for us to give our sin to God. Like we did that. We said that. We drank that, we took that, we smoked that, we kissed that, we lost that, we bought that, and then we go to God and we say, God, I'm sorry for all of that. And God, I promise, if you won't, I won't ever again. God, if you will, I promise I'll start. Think about how easily we give our sin to God, just with complete trust that he has actually taken it away. We can't see a thing, but we just give it over to God so easily. Think of how easily we give our sorrows to God. God, I'm broken hearted. God, I don't know where my answer's going to come from, so I'm coming to you. God, this sickness seems like it's going to be the end. God, the doctors said, you know, God, you were there. You were in the room. God, you know, I don't have an answer. I don't have the strength. And think of how easily, how joyfully we bring our sorrows to God. We feel it in services like we felt today, right? How easy it is to give trust for our eternity to God, the part of us that's going to last forever. We just say, I give it to God. I surrender it all to God. All of these things we do so easily with so much trust and so much faith. And it's just interesting to me. I'm not condemning you. I'm not pointing a finger at anyone. Certainly, I have this in my own life as well. I I want you to know I don't even see giving records at church. I'm not like looking at, oh, yeah, you. I really need to talk to (laughs) you. Got to be careful who I point at right now. I don't know. I don't know where you are. I don't see the giving records for the church. But isn't it interesting? How hard it is, with all of the other things that we find so easy to give to God, how difficult it is for us to give God our finances, our money, the first 10% of a budget maybe, our stuff, our shopping, and dedicate our self-control to God. Isn't it interesting that you trust God more easily with the great and demanding issues of life more than we do our money. Now do you see how Jesus was so smart? Because he knows us. He knows how to poke and prod at the things that really have us stuck. And he never asked anyone to give him money. He was never after people's money. He was after people. So, in Jesus' words, and I know this is dangerous for me to put you know, words in Jesus' mouth. These are in my words, rather. If you haven't given Him access to all that you have, then maybe you haven't given Him access to you. If you haven't surrendered what you have to be used for His mission, maybe you haven't surrendered you. And instead, maybe you have opted to serve a lesser master. And Jesus talks about this. And it's some of the tension that we feel in the room right now. Anybody feel that? feels a little awkward. feels a little tight. You're wondering, thinking back in your mind, how much you gave in the last few months to the church. And you're looking ahead to Christmas and wondering how you're going to give anything in December at all. Can I hear an amen? There's some honest people. Lacey, we're in trouble. That was a loud amen right there. But Jesus knows. And some of you just knew, you know, like I knew Jared was going to talk about this sooner or later. This just kind of sticks a little bit, but Jesus is so smart and he calls our attention back to this again with something so familiar, something we've all heard before. And Jesus is saying, look, if you want to get this right, there's a way out of it. If you want to move forward in a different direction than you've been moving in, there's a different direction. If you really want me to be your Lord, if you really want my blessing, if you really want my meaning and my purpose over your life and my help, if your appetite's are winning, if your appetites maybe are in control of yourself, and you need to get back toward that self-control idea, here is the way forward. Here is the practice. And we all know this. We've heard this. Jesus starts off, but seek first, which means that with Jesus and in Jesus's eyes, it's a priority thing. He's not talking about amounts. He's not saying you have to give up everything, is he? But he is talking about priority and order. He's not saying you have to give away all your money. You don't have to say I'll never use money again as long as I follow you. No, that's not what he's saying, right? He's not saying you can never work overtime or never borrow for any reason or, or you know, never have guilt about buying something nice or I mean or rather you can never buy something nice because of the guilt. Everyone say it's about what comes first. One more time. It's about what comes first. If worry comes first every payday, then maybe we're out of line. If upgrades come first every payday, maybe we're out of line. If pursuing more comes first, right? Because we're just really discouraged by how few zeros there are after the other numbers, right? If concern over not having enough comes first, all of those things are in the wrong order according to Jesus, All of those things are in the wrong place. And the way to be free from the pool of these concerns is to put something else first. It's not that you have to never upgrade or never try and get a better paying job or not even that you don't have to budget, you know, enough so that you're living within sense and within reason, God-given reason, but just put something else before the other things. Put one pursuit, put one goal, put one aim, put one purpose before all of the other goals and aims and purposes. And he goes on, but seek first his kingdom, talking about the Father. Seek first his kingdom, right? The other's first kind of kingdom. I'm going to talk about that in a second. He said, and his righteousness. What is God's righteousness? Well, it's everything that Jesus showed us. Jesus didn't like withdraw into the desert, you know, all his career and just kind of isolate himself from everybody else. It wasn't about fancy prayers and long winded discussions about theology. It's what we see in Jesus when Jesus was in motion. That is God's righteousness that he is looking for. It's the way Jesus treated people, it's the way Jesus loved people. It's the way Jesus talked to people and gave to people and helped people and listened to people. And Jesus is saying, I want you, if I'm going to be your Lord, you can't serve two Lords. And so if I'm going to be your Lord, I want you to make my work your first priority. I want you to be the kind of person who uses all that they have and all that they are to make my kingdom first. And my kingdom is trying to break into this world, but the means of my kingdom coming into this world is through you. And I want you to make that your first concern. And when we make God's kingdom our first concern, we find more peace. Can I hear an amen from anybody who knows what I'm talking about? That we actually find more joy. That we actually find more purpose to every paycheck. We actually find more contentment and more meaning. By prioritizing His kingdom, we become a means to an end that is greater than ourselves. So. This kingdom that Jesus is talking about, and I just want to talk about this for a little bit. One time, Jesus is actually the last time that Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and we find the story in Mark chapter 10. It's an incredible chapter. There's so much there, but Jesus is on his way, and you know, the 12 disciples are following him, and then there's probably a bigger bunch of disciples behind that, and while they're on their way to Jerusalem, and this is the end, I mean, they're going there for the last time, and while they're on the way, as they're walking, Jesus hears the disciples behind him arguing over who's going to be second and third place in the kingdom. And He's like, these guys, it's the last time that we're going to make this trip. And He calls them all around. He's like, huddle up. we got to talk about this. And he's like, look, you guys know how the kingdoms of this world work, and nobody likes it because the kingdoms of this world all operate in this idea of like a, a triangle, right? There's like one guy at the top, and everybody else below serves the one person that's at the top. And the person that's at the top uses all they have and all that's under their control to get more and to be in control of more. And Jesus says, you guys know what it's like, and I'm telling you that in my kingdom, it's not going to be that way. And he says these words to them, not so with you. If you're going to be my follower, if I'm going to be your Lord, not so with you, right? And then he points to himself, and this is so incredible because they all know he's the leader. He's the guy, and he points to himself, right? I'm the guy in charge. I'm the head honcho here, right? I'm the one that started this thing. I am el jefe. I am numero uno. This is me. But even me, even the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, to give his life. To give his life. To give. To give. To give. I'm the guy that's supposed to be at the top of the pyramid, but I didn't come to get. I came to give. And he took the whole power pyramid that we're so used to seeing in worldly and earthly kingdoms and earthly power structures and earthly hierarchies, and he turned the whole thing upside down. And he tells them, if you want to be great in my kingdom, if you want to be the greatest in my kingdom, then you have to be the servant of everyone. You have to be the slave of all. And that's what it's going to be like in my kingdom. Well, guess what they did? They backed off trying to get to the number two and number three spot. Yeah, they, they wisened up a little bit. So then they go on into the city, right? And they're going to celebrate the last Passover meal together, the last Passover festival. And they go into the room and they, they kind of have the, you know, they, they get everything set out and they, they walk in and they're kind of, you know, sitting, you know, finding their, their places at the table and, and, and they look around like, where's Jesus? And, and then they see Jesus is kind of like in the back of the room, maybe off to the side and, and he's actually changing into what they would know as a servant's uniform. And they've just had this discussion on the way and they're thinking, oh no, we forgot to hire servants for the meal. We forgot to get someone who's going to wash all of our feet because back then, you know, there was no like Nikes and socks and that kind of stuff, no paved roads. And they've been walking around in sandals in the heat of the desert. And I'm sure their feet probably look pretty gross and probably stunk. Can I hear an amen? That's right. Feet stink. And I'm sure their feet stunk and we didn't get anybody to wash our feet. Now Jesus, El Jefe, the head honcho, is putting on the servant's uniform. And oh no, he's got a a bowl of water, and he's coming over, and he starts to wash all of their feet. Jesus, the greatest of all, takes the position that makes him the lowest of all and begins washing their feet. And if you think about it, It probably took a long time to wash 24 dirty feet. It was awkward. It was silent. It was crickets in there, right? And he gets up when he's done and probably has to wash his hands, you know, and then goes back and he takes off the servant's uniform, puts back on his his rabbi robe, and I, I think he talks to them and I think he's talking to us. When he talks to them, and John tells us about it. John was there, and he says, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. There's our word again, right? Lord. You say you belong to me? That's the way it's supposed to be, rightly so. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. So what we're going to do right now is pause service. We're going to have some people come in with some water. And I want you to look around and pick the person's feet you're going to wash. Go ahead. I'll wait. No, I'm just kidding. We won't make you do that. I have set... Somebody say, thank you, Lord. I have set... I've seen some of y'all's feet. I know. I have set you an example... That you should do as I have done for you. And very truly I tell you that no servant is greater than his master. And there's these words all again, right? Lord, servant. Master, servant, master, Lord. These are the relationships within his kingdom. These are the contexts in which we exist. As we move through this life, there are masters and there are servants and there are lords that we are supposed to belong to. But in this kingdom, there can only be one Lord. And it is the Lord that gave his life to put others first. He gave his life to put you first. The reason you're here and in your right mind is because of what he showed. The reason you are here and not broke and drunk and strung out and all of these other things that we know we could have ended up, should have maybe ended up like, is because he came to give because he loved us first. And so he says to you and me, I want you to join my kingdom. I want you to join my world but I want you to flip the script with me. You have to understand that you are here to put others before yourself. But as this relates to money and giving and being generous, this gets scary. This gets hard. And sometimes we as Christians, we get confused about this. It's like, well, can I have any nice things, right? Like i got to get rid of everything. I can never go shopping again. Do I have to live with this kind of you know, American guilt for having money? No, that's not what it's about. Remember, with Jesus, it's about priority. But seek first the kingdom. You're worried about health care costs, and you should be. You're worried about having a reliable car. And in this culture, in this world, in this society that we live in, you should be worried about that. You're worried about tuition for the kids and clothes for the winter and Christmas is coming, right? And There's bills and there's a mortgage and the computers and the internet that you need today to exist and function in this society. And what he is asking for is not for you to give it all away to show some kind of special allegiance to his kingdom. What he is asking is for you and me to give first to his kingdom. And look what he promises. If you will seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be given to you as well. All of the things that have to get done, all of the things that have to get paid for, that are crucial to survive. This is not an either or situation. It's a matter of first and second and third. It's a matter of priorities. We have to put something or someone ahead of us. We have to put something or someone ahead of our appetites, ahead of our worries, ahead of our fears, ahead of every other priority, something greater than us, a greater end, so that our lives can find greater meaning in being the means to that greater end. But see, the way that most of us live is with these normal money priorities, which is we live on the first chunk of our money, and if we have anything left over, you know, we gotta save a little bit. And then, oh yeah, we're guilty because we forgot to give. And so, out of the crumbs, out of the leftovers, then we will give. This is just what we do by default. We live on the lion's share. We live on the greater part. We upgrade our iPhones every couple of weeks. That's me from last week, right? Just kidding. I got a new one this week. Did I tell you? No, I didn't. I didn't really. We do. We drive nice cars. Come on, somebody. You have a nice car. Somebody's like, Jared, did you see my car? Are you talking to me? Are you sure? Hello. Everybody here has different clothes on this week than you did last week. Right? Yeah. Your hair looks different. You smell different because you have more than one kind of perfume. Right? We're all blessed. We live on the lion's share. And if we have anything left over, we put a little bit away. And then we give out of the leftovers of our leftovers. This is average. This is normal in America. And if this life is all there is, then go for it. Hello. If the greatest meaning of life is to eat, drink, and be merry, then eat, baby. Drink all you can and be merry. Chase stuff. Chase things. Get the fastest car, the biggest boat, the nicest house on the nicest street. Work tons of overtime to support it all. Take a job that's farther away from home just to support it all. You might not have time to enjoy it then, but hey, you know, at least you'll have it. Right? But, but if Jesus is who he said he was, Maybe I could say, if Jesus has done in your life the things that you say he really has done, if Jesus really is Lord over everything, then it only makes sense. It's just the smart thing to do, to live with his priorities first. So this is the part where I told you I want to flip your whole budget upside down. If this is the basic budget you live by, it's time to get a kingdom budget. And in the kingdom budget, we give first, we save second, and we live on what is left over. We give first to the kingdom of God. We save for your kingdom after you've prioritized his kingdom second, and then we live on the rest. We put someone and something else first that proves that Jesus is the Lord of your life. This proves that no appetite is running our lives. We know that we can't serve God and money, and living this way proves that we have chosen to serve God. And so telling your money where your money is going to go is the best way to not have your money tell you where you can and cannot go. And when you order your finances and your giving by this order, it's measurable. It's something you can really look at and use and see as proof of who is really in control of yourself. Amen. There we go. Okay. So this is a thing that affects every other thing. This is an attitude. It's a behavior that is going to cascade faith into the other areas of your life. And I'm telling you, ultimately, if you will adopt this, if you'll take on this priority list that God has given to us, ultimately you will end up with greater trust in your God. You are going to have greater confidence that God is going to keep His promises because God is going to keep His promises. You will have greater confidence that He will do what He has said that he would do you're going to have greater confidences confidence that the words of Jesus are more than just words they are spirit and they are life they're life they're life and Jesus was at times what we consider frustratingly clear on this exact point this one point that if in our lives we want to say that God is first we have to give to his kingdom first. If in our lives, if in your life, you want to say that God is truly first, then according to Jesus, it's not me. Don't throw tomatoes at me. But according to Jesus, you have to give to His kingdom first. Is God, in your li- is God first in your life? Is God first in your life? Do you give to His kingdom first. Ouch. It's uncomfortable, right? This is inconvenient. This is awkward. And Jared's usually so funny. This is why I told you to hold off on bringing guests for a few weeks. Hello. This is not exclusion. This is not asceticism. This is not never buy nice things again. This is not don't save. This is not sign over your paycheck to the church. Nothing weird here, nothing controlling here, nothing manipulative here. This is about priorities. And giving to God first will order all of the other of our priorities. So what do we do? Where do we go from here? Well, if you're not a Christian, if you don't follow Jesus, it's easy. Don't do anything. Just keep living like you've been living, right? Right? Don't follow Jesus and everything's working out okay. Keep doing what you're doing. But if you're a Jesus follower and you believe that his words are true, if you're a Jesus follower, then this gets a little bit tougher. This gets a little bit harder, right? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? And so here's what I want to challenge you to do if you're a Jesus follower at City Grace. Over the next three months, I want you to pick a percentage of your income, and I want you to give it to God as soon as you get paid. Now, what's next month? Christmas. Can I tell you what's going to happen next month if you do this? Your kids... No, no MasterCard. No, no MasterCard. Notice that. MasterCard. Can I preach a sermon here, somebody? (laughs) Servants and Master... No, I won't go there. I can say God in three syllables. I'll preach this thing all day, right? God. (laughs) No, I just... Can I tell you what's going to happen next month if you do this? Your kids are going to hate pastor in December, and then when you sit down to pay your bills in January and February, you're going to love me. Give first, save second, and live on the rest. But not just for a paycheck, for three months, I want you to take this challenge. And listen, if you've never done this before, if you've never given God first out of your money, like, you know, again, I talked about the fact that I was raised in this, you know, we grew up giving 10% right off the front, you know, you probably can't just jump in tomorrow and give 10% of your paycheck for the next three months. Like, it's, it doesn't seem like it would work, all that kind of stuff. I get it. I'm not telling you to pick 10% of your income and give it to God. Just pick a percentage. But look, don't pick like a quarter of 1%, like something you're not going to feel, okay? Like, I mean, you're smart people. I told you that up front. Pick something that's hard. Pick something that's a little bit of a challenge. Pick something where you're going to have to depend on God to make up where it doesn't feel like it's going to work, right? Pick one that makes you trust God a little bit and then give it to God first. Every paycheck. Don't save it, put it to a side in a different little account because I know what's going to happen. You're going to use that up. But every paycheck, give to God first. And then look, I want you to do this. When you do that, you're going to feel some tension. You're going to feel some... Uh, So I'm not sure about this. Look, I want you to pay attention to the tension. Pay attention to what you are feeling. Identify it. Tell yourself. Ask yourself. Answer yourself. What is it that I am struggling with when it comes to putting God first in my finances? Listen to the excuses that you will tell yourself. Think about where your excuses come from. Find out what's right in the middle of your pushback on this. And if you do that, look, this is the thing. This is why I said what I said at the very beginning. If you do that, here's what I'm pretty sure you are going to figure out, that your resistance to giving to God isn't really about money at all. I think you'll find out that it's what Jesus said it was really all about. It's about who. It's about what is really going to be master, Lord of my life. And if our money could talk, I think it would remind us that it's a much better servant than a master. It's a much better servant than it is a master. Can we all stand in the room this morning? Like I said, I was raised this way. It's, from the time I was getting money for anything, my parents had taught me this, and I'm so glad that they did. I've never thought that I was supposed to live on 100% of what came to me. And so this is kind of easy for me. I've been doing it for so long. That doesn't make me better than you, not at all. I just had a blessing or a blessed advantage over some other people to learn these things first, but it doesn't mean that I am any better than anyone. And I'm raising my kids to do this. I'm teaching my kids to do this, not because I want the church to get my kids money, but because I want my kids to be free from the things that will try and rule over them. I want them to understand that their lives will be more meaningful when they see their life and everything they have and everything that comes their way as a means to a greater end. I want my kids to live with the awareness of their design and purpose and God's intentionality and making them who they are and when they are and where they are. I want them to know that. And so finances have a role to play in giving our lives meaning. But we've got to take Jesus at His words. And if Jesus isn't first in our finances, then Jesus isn't first. If Jesus isn't first in our finances, then Jesus isn't first first. And if we're not careful, that will take us from being followers of Jesus to users of Jesus. And we'll appreciate Him for what He makes us feel. We'll appreciate Him for all the times that He keeps on giving of Himself. He never stops giving. We'll appreciate the way that He loves and He forgives and everything else, but we will live without ever making Him truly first. So Jesus tells us, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve. You cannot serve both God and money. So who's up for the challenge for the next three months? To pick a percentage, percentage you choose, make it priority. Make it first. Put God first and watch everything else follow. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.